From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The rollout of the Electronic Health Records Project at the Department of Veterans Affairs is on hold tonight. VA had already pushed a March 28th start date to launch the first instance of the Cerner Millennium Platform to July. NextGov reports that launch is now on hold indefinitely because of the coronavirus. The Office of Personnel Management is doubling the recruitment, relocation and retention bonuses agencies can offer to hire people to respond to the COVID-19 outbreak. A fact sheet OPM posted this week says the payment limit for 3R incentives will go from 25 to 50 percent of basic pay. GovExec reports agencies will still have to request waivers for the increases. New emergency guidance from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency includes three options for agencies to secure teleworkers. Those options include letting workers directly access cloud service provider resources, establishing protected connections to agencies, and letting employees connect through a cloud access broker. FCW reports phishing is one of CISA's biggest security concerns for remote workers. More on this later in the program. Agencies have new funds from the stimulus package for IT modernization and other tech updates. Tech companies working with government are focusing on quick solutions that will provide the capabilities the agencies need to keep working remotely. Megan Metzger's founder and CEO of Decode. Megan, thanks very much for coming on. What innovations are you seeing agencies take advantage of? What innovations are companies providing regarding getting their employees to telework at scale? Sure, so I know this has been a really big challenge for most agencies because they're not used to working in this teleworking world. And this is just status quo for a lot of the tech companies out there. So what we are seeing is an uptick in a lot of the more modern teleconferencing tools. Um, we're seeing things like Wicker, which are going to provide a much stronger end-to-end -end encryption for secure communication going on. But then we're also adopting a lot of the messaging tools. You know, there's Slack, of course, which some agencies have approved, some have not approved, and then the equivalent within the Microsoft platform so that um, employees can communicate each other and actually try to keep up some of the culture and the camaraderie that a lot of agencies work really hard to build internally. So that's always been one of the issues that people have expressed about telework. It's the person-to-person -person interaction that, it, that people say they like better than working remotely that now is just not possible. It's not allowed even. How? How does one go about trying to reconstruct that? How does some of the tools that you outlined allow for at least some recovery of that kind of person-to-person -person interaction? Yeah, that's a great question and we get that quite a bit, especially deep because culture is so important for us. And I think the big thing is that a lot of agencies can't expect to just take your normal workload and pop it into a virtual world. You have to make adaptations. So some things that we've seen that have been pretty innovative is we have had agencies kind of say, let's have a video first policy if you have the technical capability to do that. Um, so that way you can interact with people. Um, you're also we've had some creative ideas. One that we've implemented here at Decode is we actually have a standard line called the water cooler so that people can log in throughout the day and collaborate. But you know, we're you have to expect to pick up the phone and make more impromptu phone calls because otherwise what's happening is people's meeting workload is going up quite a bit because you can't just walk down the hall and have a meeting anymore. 
What are you seeing as far as training? You, you at Decode have done a training exercise with DHA and there are lots of other kind of next normal as the term that I'm applying to this, Megan, in, in trying to get people to be able to continue the cadence of work that they've been on or, or at least maintain it as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think now is a really fantastic time for agencies to look at those training budgets because there's such tremendous opportunity, um, especially, you know, Decode, for example, we took our entire training program that is centered around how do you help government employees understand how to use emerging tech effectively, which is very relevant in this environment, and converted it to an interactive virtual training program in the matter of five days that has modules and has interactive um, workbooks and things like that, and a lot of one-on-one -on -one connections with um, the trainees and the trainers. So we are seeing a big uptick in that type of effort, and I think agencies should really embrace that, especially now that a lot of their training budgets are going to be underutilized, and your staff is going to need more interactive ways to engage. And the bottom line is innovation can't stop, and your progress forward cannot stop just because we are virtual. You know, the number of ways for agencies to connect is really high. The other thing that we did at Decode is we took our technology accelerator, which connects emerging tech in the government together, and we converted that to a completely virtualized environment. Um, in fact, last week, we had a closeout for our artificial intelligence program, and we were oversubscribed with government officials that were coming in to connect with the technologies. So we, I think we facilitated over 100 one-on-one -on -one meetings by taking advantage of the all of the really um, intricate features of a lot of these platforms, like the whiteboards and the breakout rooms and things. So really get to know those tools because virtual trainings um, that Decode and other groups are providing our tremendous opportunity for agencies to take advantage of right now. You used a word a moment ago that I think is important to note, and that is adaptation in the way that people are shifting to what they're doing. Nobody can lift and shift, to borrow a, a cloud terminology, what they did before onto this new way of doing business. What are the people that you're seeing succeeding at this adaptation doing to succeed in changing the way they're doing things, Megan? Well, I think you have to set expectations with your teams about what you are capable of doing. We have a lot of working parents, for example. So for some of our teams, the working hours are going to be different because there's going to be periods of the day when you need to go teach your child math, for example. Um, so having a little bit more understanding and flexibility in how people structure their work days, it's not just a nine to five or a seven to three or whatever schedule you're having before. You know, if you're going to just sit in front of a computer for that long, we're going to mentally burn out and physically burn out quite a bit. Um, some other things that I've seen people do are institute days where there are actually just no external meetings where you can actually go ahead heads down so that um, in this world where the meetings seem to have increased, people are also having to work really late into the night just to catch up on their daily workload. So I think put, people that put in the boundaries up front and do take advantage a lot of the communication methodologies that we have available to us um, are, are making that transition much easier. But don't expect on yourself personally to maintain the exact same type of schedule and format of how you worked before because you will burn out. Megan Metzger, thanks very much. It's great to see you. Yes, great to see you. Thanks for having me. Stay up, healthy. Up next, tightening cybersecurity for a changing threat landscape. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what you need to do to stay secure online as you work and lead from home. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News.
Welcome back to Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has new guidance on working remotely and securing your work. The third iteration of the trusted internet connection is the basis for the guidance. Brigadier General Greg Tuhill, U.S. Air Force retired as president of AppGate Federal Group and former Federal Chief Information Security Officer. Greg, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on. What are some of the challenges that we're seeing now that we're having employees scaling basically for the past month or so on telework and remote access? Well, there are three main things that I've seen. One is that we weren't really prepared to do the massive uh, work from home initiatives that we're seeing today. So many employees uh, deployed to their home environments, but without the uh, proper equipment, uh, such as laptops that were provided by the government and uh, their organizations. So they're having to use a bring your own device, many of them, in order to uh, do their essential activities. These uh, devices don't necessarily have the same capabilities nor the patching uh, and the security configurations as government issued uh, equipment. Secondly, we are seeing that the remote access capabilities uh, such as VPNs that the government has been employing in both .mil as well as in .gov aren't really scaling very well and they're showing their age. Uh, we've had a lot of folks in both .gov and .mil in social media talking about how lack of access and the constraints with VPNs is providing a denial of service you know, attack against them and their ability to get their work done. And then the third and most pernicious is the fact that we are seeing bad actors employing all sorts of different tactics, techniques, and procedures uh, to uh, try to compromise security uh, through misinformation, through phishing, and a whole host of other activities. Over. I mentioned that the uh, the phishing attacks earlier in the program, CISA focused on those in this guidance that it put out and mentioned that basically it's got the potential to be the biggest security challenge in all of this. It, it, what, what do you do about that at a time like now where starting a whole new rack of training is probably not practical? Well, you know, one of the things I learned in the military is, is managers manage stuff and leaders lead people. So as you have a distributed workforce, that does not mean that you stop leading them. You need to be a communicator if you're going to be a leader. So setting a cadence for uh, proper communications with your workforce is critically important. And you can still communicate with them through many different channels, through email, through conference calls, through some of the expanded uh, video teleconferencing capabilities that both .gov and .mil is employing as well as in the uh, private sector. So making sure that leaders are out there communicating what the threats are, what the risks are, and then what to do about them is something that should be a continual conversation. And I uh, found that during my time in the military, as well as my uh, time in federal service and now in the commercial sector, making sure that you communicate a cadence of communications with your people is critically important. You mentioned BYOD a couple of moments ago, five, six, eight years ago when I was at Federal News Radio. BYOD was a thing. It was really hot. People were talking about how to manage these fleets of devices that may or may not be uniform. Discussions of things like hot lists that people could choose. I want this phone, but they'd already been kind of approved and understood to work to integrate well into federal networks. That's all kind of gone out the window in the past five years or so. And I wonder if this is going to generate 
in your view, some kind of revisiting of the possibility of a BYOD campaign, if for nothing else, um, than COOP in the case that we're looking at right now? Well, I frankly, I think that uh, we've already uh, moved past where we were five years ago when it was a hot issue. Now it is a white hot issue and it's a reality. And I don't think as we emerge back from the COVID-19 situation we're in right now, that we're gonna go back to the same uh, organizational construct. Uh, telework is a thing that is proving itself to be worthwhile for many, many career fields. So BYOD is a reality today, and I think it's gonna be the standard in the future. So as organizations are looking at re-architecting not only their business processes, but also their IT environments, if you're not already leveraging BYOD and putting security into play for that, then you're not uh, looking forward. You're looking in a rearview mirror. So basically this becomes the de facto position rather than a new thing to be considered. This becomes woven into the infrastructures of these organizations, or should be, Greg, it sounds like that's what you're suggesting. Absolutely. I, I think right now what we're seeing is, is a shotgun marriage of BYOD and government, uh, because uh, as folks are having to deploy out of uh, public health concerns and public safety, we're realizing in many places that previously hadn't acknowledged the need to have a strong bring your own device capability, that you need to be able to defend your information regardless of where it is. Uh, the traditional perimeter, as you and I have previously talked, the perimeter is dead. Your information's everywhere. It's on-prem, it's co-located in data centers, it's in every cloud out there, but it, now it's on every single device and you may not own that device. So we need to have a security strategy that is completely agnostic of the infrastructure and doesn't trust the infrastructure. It needs to protect at the information level. Greg Tuhill, thanks very much for joining me. The first ever reference to a shotgun marriage on Government Matters, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Francis. Great seeing you. Up next, advice from the CIO's office on coronavirus response. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what you should do now for payoff when the pandemic is over. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. Welcome back. The Defense Department has a new task force of chief information officers and other IT leaders that will implement maximum telework across the department. Their findings will inform what the department does during the virus response and beyond. Jonathan Album is principal data strategist at ServiceNow, former chief information officer at the Agriculture Department. It's good to see you, my friend. Thanks for coming on. What should CIOs be paying attention to for lessons learned during this virus response, Jonathan? Well, hi, Francis. Great to be here. Um, I think the things that are really important are to understand how their employees are working and the successfulness of their transition to remote work. You know, it's very easy to think about telework as just a set of technologies that allow us to connect to a network and uh, when we're working from home and access email and other, you know, business applications. But really, we need to be thinking about how do our uh, employees serve citizens, serve their stakeholders, serve the people that you know rely on them during this period of time. Telework isn't just the ability to access uh, you know resources remotely, it's the ability to have you know your 
regular business workflows work successfully in an environment that we're not used to working in, where we're physically distant. When you say how employees are working is something CIOs should track, are you talking about the techniques that they're using, the tools that they're using, or are you talking about the quality of the work that they're putting out, or both of those, or something else? I think it's I think it's a combination, really. You know, part of the conversation that you know I've heard from uh, various CIOs that I've talked to is that they didn't have the technologies in place to support full-scale telework. Uh, they have been acquiring software licenses. They've been acquiring hardware. They've they've been uh, sort of hacking the system in a good way, if you will, to make their business processes work. They've they've. Um, made sure that work finds a way so that people can be served, but it's it's done in a something somewhat of an unmanaged kind of way. People are adjusting on the fly. I think those are the things that we really have to pay attention to because out of that are going to come some you know good innovation, some some very uh, you know important changes to the way that we do our missions, and those things need to be uh, retrofitted back into a formal process. I think so we can take the best innovations that come out of this and, and leverage them for the future. So it's a combination of how do people access systems, serve customers, and at the same time, uh, make sure that we're doing it in a way that is secure, make sure that we're doing it in a way that we uh, we manage all the related compliance aspects we have in government, even in this situation where we're, we're, we're really disconnected. Well, and you use the word business processes, and it strikes me this is an opportunity we talk all the time. You and I have spoken, in fact, on many occasions about having agencies take a look at the way that they do business and determine whether that's the way they want to continue to do business. This situation's forcing a whole bunch of that kind of introspection, isn't it, Jonathan? Absolutely. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a doubling down on this idea of digital transformation. Um, it's a clarion call to figure out how your data flows through the organization, how the work flows through the organization. If, if you're entering a situation like this with, um, you know, without good awareness, about how your agency gets its job done, you're going to you're going to have a lot of blind spots in terms of serving customers. You know, we we very quickly sent uh, people home appropriately. You know, health and safety, but it it was almost a secondary thought in some instances about well, how does the citizen still get the service that they need? And in some cases where the citizen can't be served any other way than in person, we've had to maintain offices open in different areas or people had to come in on shifts and other things and you know there's a there's a health and safety risk with that so uh, as we look back on this i think cios across the government are going to be thinking about the changes that uh, they need to make in order to serve customers anyway anywhere using um, the resources they have and resources that they that they need to need to acquire i think this is a you know a story we're going to look back on and say this was really uh, the the change that brought about full scale transformation of our of our government where we really became digital where we connected systems and we connected processes in ways that we always imagined they could be connected but this is makes it very clear that we have to. So speaking of looking back on this, Jonathan, what should CIOs be doing now and what should they be directing other people to do now and who should they be directing? to capture all this stuff so that they have robust after action reports to look at when things are kind of back to whatever the next normal looks like and they can start to process this. Yeah, the um, you know, I've always been a very strong believer in the CIO as a uh, liaison between IT and the business and a strong partner with the business. And I think working with programs is really critical at this point because 
you know, comes back to the to the workflows that support uh, agency missions. And if you're talking to different program managers in your agency and you can have a sense about how their programs executed successfully or where they've had to make adjustments in order to serve customers, those are the those are I think the most important data points to understand. Uh, for your agency, because those are going to drive the uh, investments that you make in digital transformation. The technologies that support work that that support telework, that support uh, you know remote workers and mobile, those are uh, a little less complicated to think about. But when we know we need them, but when you know that a government program is struggling to serve its constituents to serve citizens during this time, that's where I think we have to make big investments. Jonathan Album, thanks as always, my friend. Stay healthy. All right, thanks. Great to be here. If you've missed the show or you're on the go, you can stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Government Matters is available now as an audio podcast. You can get it every day on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Or just ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. I'm back in two minutes. The Navy League and Government Matters are partnering on a virtual edition of the largest maritime expo in the United States. The Navy League canceled Sea Airspace 2020 in person last month after Maryland prohibited gatherings of more than 250 people in response to COVID-19. Every day next week, you'll get a one-hour special Sea Airspace 2020 virtual edition from 1 to 2 p.m. right here on WJLA 24-7 News. If you're watching on the American Forces Network or on the web outside of the Metro D.C. area, you can register for the free webinar version of each program on FedInsider.com. You'll hear from Assistant Secretary of the Navy for RDNA, Hondo Gertz, the Commandant of the Coast Guard, Admiral Carl Schultz, the head of the Maritime Administration, Rear Admiral Mark Busby, and a lot more. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.